I invite you to reach for your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We will be continuing in the series we began a few weeks ago, Encounters with Jesus. And here we come to another encounter with the woman at the well. John chapter 4. We'll be reading verses 1 through 42. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Anyway, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? 
And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have no food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And that after the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for this encounter with Jesus Christ, the living water. Lord, help us to see ourselves in this story. But more than that, help us to see you as our Savior, the one who offers us living water here this morning so that we may never thirst again and have the gift of eternal life. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. What I love about these encounters with Jesus is that it seems that on one level, people were seeking Jesus. Such as this person that we encountered last Sunday, the Canaanite woman, like Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, who sought out Jesus Christ at night. But on a much deeper level, Jesus was seeking them. Just like he does with this Samaritan woman at the well. And so, as we continue in this series, my prayer this morning is that we would come to discover that Jesus is seeking you. He's looking for you. He loves you and wants to save you from your sins. He wants to change your life. Now, the placement of the Samaritan woman's encounter with Jesus right after Nicodemus' encounter with Jesus is rather important. Nicodemus' encounter happened in chapter 3. What we see here is another encounter with Jesus here in chapter 4. In John chapter 3, we, we eavesdrop on the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus in which Jesus showed Nicodemus his Religious credentials were insufficient to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus begins to show him, begins to teach him through his encounter that he still needed to be born again to go to heaven. Listen, it's not good enough just to be a religious leader, to be a Pharisee to go to heaven. You can't depend on your works and what you know, in other words, of the law in the Old Testament You need to be born again, Jesus reminds him. 
Here in John chapter 4, we're introduced to someone at the other end of life. Here is a immoral woman who had to fetch water from the well in the very heat of the day because of her reputation. And so what we see here in John chapter 3 versus John chapter 4 are two very different people from two different cultures, but yet they all had one common need, just as all all of us here do. And that is the need for Jesus Christ. And so we might even pose the question this way, who needs Jesus? And the answer is the Nicodemus and the woman at the well shows us that Everyone, everywhere needs Jesus regardless of their gender, their status, or even their nationality. When you compare these two individuals, Nicodemus in John 3 and here the woman at the well in John 4, you discover two opposite people in opposite situations who are both desperately need the same thing, and that is Jesus Christ. In fact, James Boyce writes, and I quote, It is difficult to imagine a greater contrast between two persons than the contrast between the important and sophisticated Nicodemus, this ruler of the Jews, and the simple Samaritan woman. He was a Jew. She is Samaritan. He was a Pharisee. She belonged to no religious party. He was a politician. She had no status whatever. He was a scholar. She was immoral. He had a name. She is nameless. He was a man. She was a woman. He came at night to protect his reputation. She came to the well at noon because of her bad reputation. Nicodemus came seeking. The woman was sought by Jesus. He goes on, he says, what a great contrast. And yet the point of the stories of these encounters is that both the man and the woman needed the gospel and were welcome to it. If Nicodemus is an example of the truth, that no one can rise so high as to be above the need for salvation, then the woman is an example of the truth that none can sink too low. And so these two encounters... John here places them side by side for us to show us that everyone, everywhere, needs Jesus, and Jesus is for everyone, everywhere. Listen, in other words, what John is showing us by these two encounters is that moral people cannot be saved by their morality. They can only be saved by Jesus Christ, but also... John is showing us that immoral people are never too immoral to find salvation in Jesus Christ. And so the good news of the gospel is that everyone may be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. But like this woman at the well, the question for us here this morning is this. Are you willing to hear? Are you willing to listen? Are you willing to open up your heart and hear the wonderful truth about Jesus Christ, as well as the woeful truth about yourself. And that's what this encounter here this morning shows us. Notice, number one, Jesus tells the woman at the well the wonderful truth about himself. Now, in this particular encounter, geography is important in understanding this encounter between Jesus and this woman at the well. In Jesus' day, there were basically three regions kind of stacked on top of one another. You had Galilee in the north, you had Samaria in the middle, and you had Judea in the south. And and the quickest and easiest way to get to Galilee 
which is up north, from Judea, which is down in the south, is to go straight through Samaria. But as John 4 begins, we're told that Jesus left Judea in the south, and he went through Samaria as he traveled to Galilee in the north. But the way that John tells the story here raises a question. Notice again what it says in verse 4. It says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. So why did Jesus have to pass through Samaria when you didn't really have to, and yet we're told Jesus had to? Well, the answer reveals the the wonderful truth about Jesus Christ, which is, first of all, Jesus is graciously purposeful in all that he does. In everything in his ministry, he is graciously purposeful about it. John underscores this by saying Jesus had to pass through Samaria. It implies necessity or obligation. And while it might be assumed Jesus had to pass through Samaria because it was the the fastest way to get to Galilee, the reality was most Jews took the longer journey around Samaria. They didn't go the fastest route. They didn't go a direct route. Rather, they went around. Why is that? Well, some of you might remember and might know that the Jews hated the Samaritans. And Samaria was a part of the country that if you were a Jew, you avoided at all costs. Samaria was a place of, from the Jewish perspective, of racial half-breeds. The Samaritans were part Jew, part Gentiles as a result of the Assyrian captivity when some of the Jews started intermarrying with their Gentile captors. So Samaria was a place of racial half-breeds. It also then became a place of religious heresy. It wasn't long before the Samaritans developed kind of their own religion, partly based on Judaism and partly based on paganism. In fact, they even eventually built their own temple to worship in, which this Samaritan woman at the well even alludes to in her conversation with Jesus. And so there was no love lost between these two groups of people. And so the Jews avoided passing through Samaria at all costs. Nonetheless, Jesus, we're told, had to pass through Samaria. And the question is, why is that? It's not because Jesus was in a hurry. Listen, Jesus operated on divine standard time, if you want to say it that way. Had can only mean one thing. Jesus was on a mission here to meet someone. Jesus was keeping a divine appointment with a woman with a guilty past. And he wanted to see her life change. He wanted to offer her forgiveness for her sins. He wanted to offer her the hope of eternal life through the living water of himself. Now understand, nothing in this encounter happens by chance. It's not accidental, in other words. Every detail of this encounter is the working out of God's will. Listen, this woman at the well isn't looking for Jesus. Jesus is not even on her mind, but Jesus is looking for her. Well, that is hope for us this morning. Jesus doesn't avoid Samaria. He doesn't hurry through it because Jesus, why? He's graciously purposeful in seeking out those who are lost and without hope. The second thing we learn, the second truth that we learn about Jesus here in this encounter, he's not only graciously purposeful, he is also graciously relational. Notice how this encounter unfolds between Jesus and this woman. According to verse 5, it says, Jesus came to a town of Samaria, 
which is called Sychar. Verses 6 and 7, it says Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. In other words, about 12 noon in the middle of the day. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now she is shocked by this request of Jesus. And she says in verse 9, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. In other words, she's basically saying to Jesus Christ here, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan, and you, you can't be asking me to use the same bucket for a drink of water. That just isn't done. So why? what's going on here? Now this, this is the ultimate picture of an outsider being graciously pursued by Jesus Christ. This woman, she's actually, she's coming out to draw water in the middle of the day at 12 noon. And she's doing it by herself. And here's why that's a problem. That's not normal in the culture in which she lives. You see, in that culture, women would go out to the well either in the cool of the morning or in the evening. And they would never go in the hottest part of the day, and they would never go alone. The reason this woman is alone at midday is because she is a social outcast in her community. She's an immoral woman who has been shunned by the town people, and now she's having a conversation, if you can believe it, with the Son of God. Now, that is amazing. That is just utterly amazing if you think about it. Do you see what's happening here? This is a beautiful, beautiful encounter by Jesus Christ. Jesus is pursuing this culturally unacceptable relationship with a woman who is a Samaritan outcast. Jesus, right now, is breaking every century-old taboo that you could break. First of all, he traveled through Samaria. He smoked, spoke to a Samaritan. He spoke to a woman who was immoral. He asked her for a drink, and the only cup available was her cup. Why would Jesus do this? Because Jesus is graciously relational. And in this encounter, we see Jesus' heart is without prejudice. It matters not to him that others would not travel through Samaria, and others would not speak to this immoral woman. Listen, Jesus welcomes all. He shuns none, for he is graciously purposeful in his mission, and he's graciously relational in seeking out everyone everywhere. We also find in this story another truth about Jesus, and that is great. Jesus is graciously superior, though. He is graciously superior. Now, As this conversation begins to take place between Jesus and this woman, the woman at the well thinks Jesus is talking about physical water and physical thirst. But Jesus is engaging her at a spiritual level, and he offers her something far superior than what she's ever been used to. Notice what Jesus says to this woman in verse 10. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. In other words, 
Jesus is offering her a gift that is graciously superior to anything she's ever received in her life. Jesus is offering her living water that can meet her soul's deepest needs. But she, in her mind, she still thinks that Jesus is talking about H2O. And so she looks around and says in verse 11, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is very deep. Where do you get that living water? She still doesn't understand. And that's why she says, you don't even have a bucket to get water. Who do you think you are? She doesn't understand yet who Jesus is. And yet, and yet there's something going on in her heart or in her mind where she senses some kind of claim to superiority by this person that is talking to her. And so now she asks in verse 12, are you, are you, sir, are, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. That's a good question. Is Jesus greater than Jacob? The Jews revered Jacob. What do you think? Do you think Jesus is greater? Well, look at Jesus' answer. Look at it again. Notice what it says in verses 13 and 14. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water, that is the H2O water in the well, in Jacob's well, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Now, allow me to paraphrase Jesus' answer here. Yes, ma'am, I'm superior to Jacob. And my gift that I'm offering to you is also superior. And my water is superior. And my well is superior. And whoever drinks of this water will never thirst and never die. Do you realize what Jesus is saying? He's saying, listen, my superiority is actually your salvation. Jesus is basically saying to her, listen, lady, you have a thirst that you cannot quench on your own. But I, I, I have living water. In fact, I am living water that can quench your thirst. And if you will just drink, you, if you will believe on me as your ever-satisfying Savior, you will never thirst again and you will live forever. In other words, Jesus is offering her a spiritual gift that will satisfy her not only internally, but also eternally but she still doesn't see it. And she hasn't yet tasted it, at least not until Jesus leads her to see not just the, the wonderful truth about himself, but also the woeful truth about herself. You see, the first part of this encounter reveals that beautiful, amazing, wonderful truth about Jesus, but we also need to hear the woeful truth about ourselves. And that brings us to the second part of this encounter where Jesus tells the woman at the well the woeful truth about herself. So far, all that this water means to this woman at the well is that it would save her the trouble of coming to the well in the heat of the day. She's thinking pragmatically. 
which explains why she says to Jesus in verse 15, Sir, give me, give me this water. But notice her reasoning why in verse 15. So that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. But then comes a sudden twist. In this encounter, in verse 16, Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. And how does she respond? Notice in verse 17, the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So now we are moving. We're moving from the wonderful truth about Jesus to the the woeful truth about this woman. You see, Jesus knows something about her. Jesus knows her guilty past. Jesus knows her secret present. And so Jesus tells her in verse 18, you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. So what woeful truths about ourselves can we learn from this woman's encounter with Jesus? Well, there are three truths we need to see about ourselves. And the first truth is this. Our guilty past past can often cause present pain in our lives. You see, Jesus knows that this woman's guilty past is making it painful for her to come to the place where all the other women gather and talk at Jacob's well. That's why she says what she says in verse 15. I will take your water so that I don't have to come to this well every day. You see, you have to get inside and understand what's going on with this woman. This woman's life was a miserable chain of unfulfilled relationships. In fact, the, the, the fact that she had married five different times indicates that she had longed for fulfillment, and each time she was disappointed. And so she comes to the well. And as she comes day after day, she is worn down with scars of hurt the kind that comes from being the source of someone else's gratification. And above all, she is filled with a a deep longing and a thirst for something better in life. And yet she, she tries to hide her guilty past and even her present pain from the one who knows her best. The very reason we try to hide our sins from God is because we we somehow, in our minds, we, we actually believe that God won't like us if he ever discovers everything about us. But this encounter reveals the truth that Jesus knows all about me, and yet he still loves me anyway. He's graciously pursuing me. That's why Jesus pursues us with the, the wonderful truth about himself and the woeful truth about ourselves. You ever tried to hide something from God? You ever tried? Anybody you ever try to hide something from God? It's impossible if you haven't figured it out by now. In fact, when my boys were growing up, I tried to remind them all the time, your sins will find you out sooner or later. 
God sees all things. In fact, Proverbs 15.3 tells us, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, observing the wicked and the good. And yet we do all kinds of things to deal with the sin problem in our lives. And here's probably the top two ways we try to deal with it. First, we try to just ignore our sin. This is called denial. And yet the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 that we all have sinned. So ignoring our sin is ineffective if we ever hope to deal with the sin in our lives. You just can't ignore it and deal with it. But the second way that we kind of deal with our sin is, is we indulge our sin. Because since, since we can't ignore our sin, we just give into it over and over and over again. And that leaves us feeling empty and guilty and very shameful. And that's what this woman at the well, that's her life. She went down the same road with a different man and kept getting the same results. Emptiness and a broken heart. And so Jesus said to her, go and bring your husband, and she tried to dodge that bullet. But Jesus knew her guilty past of five different husbands, and he knew her present secret of living with another man. You can't hide your guilty past, your present secrets, or even the pain in your heart from the one who loves you most. And that is Jesus Christ. So let me encourage you to be honest with yourself. Be honest with God about your sinfulness. In fact, right now, there are probably people here who believe God doesn't know how I'm living. God doesn't know the secrets in my life. But this encounter teaches us that God knows all about our past sins and all about our present secrets as well as the pain it is causing in our life. God sees behind our mask to the reality deep within our hearts. And until we come to grips with our sinfulness, listen, we cannot be saved. We cannot drink the living waters that Jesus offers us. We also then come to another truth that Jesus reveals about us, and that is that our core problem is spiritual thirst. Our core problem is spiritual thirst. Now, it's, it might be tempting to think, man, Jesus is being rather hard on this woman. He's, he's not just drawing physical water out of the well. He's drawing out her guilty past. He's just laying it all out there. So do you think Jesus is being unloving in exposing the truth about this woman's guilty past and even her present secrets? Is Jesus unloving here in this story? In this encounter? Now, you know, if you were to ask people you work with, maybe even live with, friends, man, if we, this were to take place today, it may come across, well, you would never do this. That would be offensive. That's not right. But Jesus, what he's doing here, he's very intentional. He he is doing one of the most loving things he could ever do for this woman. He is moving into her inner life. He is exposing her core problem so that it can be dealt with, and that is her spiritual thirst. Why? Because the living water that Jesus offers is for the inner person. This is not water that you drink with your mouth. It's water that you drink with your heart. This water is for the soul not for the body. 
And it's living water that if this woman drank by faith would become a well of water springing up to eternal life and joy and satisfaction. You see, it's her soul that's thirsty. And that is what's true of all of us here this morning. And she doesn't know it yet. And so Jesus is graciously and lovingly exposing this for her telling her the truth about herself. Now think about it. No woman goes through sexual relationships with six men without either starting desperately thirsty or ending desperately thirsty. I mean, what what happened with these six relationships? Well, either she can't find in a man what she craves And so she moves on from one to the other to the other, desperately believing men are the, quote, water she is thirsting for. Or these men can't find in her what they are craving. And so one after the other drops her. Or both. In either case, she is now left with a deep, deep emptiness and sinfulness that is so painful that she seals it up. And there's no entrance into her heart at all until Jesus encounters her. And Jesus begins to intentionally expose for her to see her inner life. But listen to me, not to condemn her. Not to rehearse the details and hang it over her head. Listen, he brought up all this to expose the true thirst in her soul because he loves her. And that's why Jesus exposes the painful truth in our lives that we so often try to hide. And I hope you see we are learning something about Jesus here, and we are learning something also about ourselves. Jesus is compassionate. Yes, he's aggressive, and he's surgical, and he's relentless in his love. Jesus knows all about your past, as well as your present secrets and pain. Nothing is hidden from him. And so believe that the one who who knows you best also loves you the most. But Jesus also loves you too much to let you stay as you are. And so he offers you what you need the most. That is living water. As someone once said, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. And we often let our past define who we are, but you are so much more than your past You also have a future in Jesus Christ. Yes, God knows about your past, but he also knows what you can become in Christ. And he knows the satisfaction that you can find in Christ. And that brings us to the third truth. Only Jesus can satisfy our deepest needs. Are you you seeing yourself in this story here, in this encounter? I hope so. Because just like this woman... We here this morning, listen, we are all spiritually thirsty. And the truth here that comes out of these pages of this encounter is that Jesus is the only one who can quench your soul's thirst. That's why Jesus says back in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. It's actually quite fitting that this woman comes to the well, and as she does, she carries a bucket. 
so that she can draw water to quench her thirst. You see, this woman illustrates our thirst for something more fulfilling in life. One of the evidences that we are spiritually thirsty is that we are unstable like this woman here. Always moving from one thing to the next, trying to to seek to fill the void that only Jesus can fill. And like this woman, perhaps you have similar experiences. Perhaps you move through sexual partners like she did. Or perhaps you just move through friends, you move through jobs, you move through churches or hobbies or hairstyles, wardrobes, cars. Look, it doesn't matter. Because whatever you're moving through in life to fill satisfaction in your life, you're never really satisfied. You're never truly satisfied. And you're always thirsting for more, craving for more. And Jesus is showing us something about ourselves, the truth about ourselves, through this woman at the well, but he's also teaching us about his glorious sufficiency as living water. Look again what he says in verses 13 and 14. It's beautiful. He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You see, Jesus is offering to meet your deepest need of salvation and satisfaction for your soul. He's offering you forgiveness for all your sins in the past. He's offering you the gift of eternal life in the future. And he's offering you the power to live in a manner that is pleasing to God in the present. You say, man, that's what I want. That's what I need. I want to drink of this living water and satisfy my soul's thirst. Then come to Jesus. He's offering you something that only he can offer, and that is living water for lasting satisfaction. And so slowly but surely, the truth about Jesus and the truth about herself is now coming to light for this woman. Now, as she tries to dodge this bullet, about the truth about herself. She, she does so by, by kind of redirecting the conversation. Beginning in verse 20, she, it's interesting. She, she tries to now kind of come up on the same par as Jesus and have a spiritual conversation with him about worship. And, of course, in her mind, she thinks that where you worship, that's what counts. And Jesus graciously reminds her and tells her, no, it's not so much where you worship that counts, it's, it's who you worship that matters. And then Jesus says something amazing. He says, well, first of all, in verse 25, she, she tells Jesus in this conversation that she, she's heard about this Messiah, about this Messiah who's coming, and, And so imagine her surprise when Jesus says to her in verse 26, I who speak to you am he. Now her mind is radically blown. I mean, she is just stunned. She is, because that is an amazing statement, what Jesus just said. Not only does Jesus claim to 
to be the Messiah that she's heard about. But he, in that one statement, he is claiming identity with God. For for the I am was the name by which God revealed himself to Moses back in Exodus chapter 3, verse 15. And so no doubt this woman is now blown away. She, She came for some water and she ends up meeting the Messiah face to face. So the question becomes, did this woman accept Jesus' offer of living water? In other words, did she she believe in Jesus as her Savior? And the answer is yes. Listen, just like Nicodemus, I, I think this woman is born again right after verse 26. You say, well, how do you know that, Bruce? Because according to verses 28 and 30, notice what it says. It says, the woman left her water jar and went away to the town. And by the way, it's the same town that has shunned her, where she's an outcast, and yet she's going back to the town, back to these people, and she said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Now, it's true. She, She, at this point, she understands very little. All she says about Jesus is, he knows me. And yet he loves me still. He knows everything about me, and he cares about me, and he loves me still. And I think he's the Messiah that I've heard about and I've been longing for, and I just didn't know how to put it all together. And yet she understands enough to believe, and then she tells others. And when Jesus gives you living water, let me tell you, you cannot wait to share it with someone else. And so because of this woman's testimony about Jesus, notice what happens next. We see in verses 39 through 42 that it says many Samaritans from that town, what? Believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, that is Jesus, they asked him to stay with them. And what does Jesus do? Remember, he's a Jew. These are Samaritans in Samaria where Jews avoid at all costs. They're invited to stay with us so that we can learn and see who you are. And Jesus says, sure. Why? Because I care for you. I love you. I have living water for you. And they said to this woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed who? Savior of the world. A little phrase at the end of verse 42 tells us that the Samaritans actually figured out something that the Jews never quite got right. They understood that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the Savior of the world. They heard this woman's testimony first, and then they heard Jesus himself And then it says they believed in him. And that word believe, notice it, it is used three different times at the end of this encounter. And that's significant for it means, for application for us here this morning, notice it, that there is no such thing as secondhand faith. Notice it in your notes coming up on the screen. You can't be saved on secondhand faith. You, you yourself, each individual person here, we, we must believe in Jesus Christ as our own Savior and Lord. In other words, 
No one goes to heaven based on someone else's faith in Jesus Christ. No one. Listen, you, you have to be, you have to believe yourself. You've got to come to the point in your life where you open up your heart and your mind and you say, yes, I, I believe in Jesus. He is my Savior and my Lord. And I want his living water. In other words, you come to the place where you believe the wonderful truth about Jesus Christ. And you also begin to see and understand and accept the woeful truth about yourself. And that leads me back to a very crucial phrase back in verse 10. When Jesus said, if you knew. If you only knew. In other words, there's something we have to know. That we have to embrace. We have to accept about Jesus and ourselves. He says, if you knew the gift of God. And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And just ponder those three little words for a moment, if you knew. Because that is the question here for every one of us. Do you know? If you knew the wonderful truth about Jesus and the woeful truth about yourself, listen, you would. Ask him for living water, and he would give you eternal life. Jesus said in John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38, he says, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. Listen, Jesus this morning is ready to give you living water. It's free for the asking. Are you ready to receive it? Then admit the woeful truth about yourself. Admit, in other words, that, listen, I am a sinner like this woman at the well. I'm no better than her. I am empty and I am spiritually thirsty. And then believe the wonderful truth about Jesus Christ, that he is the Messiah who has come to pay for our sins with his death on the cross, that he is the Savior who is giving you the waters of eternal life. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and I ask that you would speak to us, that you would work in our hearts. You would open up our hearts and our eyes to see the truth about Jesus, but also the truth about ourselves. And so even now, if God is speaking to you, then come to Jesus in repentance of sin and saving faith. Listen, right now, Right where you're seated, you you can pray something like this. Dear Lord, I admit my emptiness. Forgive me for my sins in trying to find satisfaction apart from you. I accept your gift of eternal life. I commit my life to you, and with your help, I will follow you as my Lord. Oh, Father, may you grant the faith to believe. And would you open up the hearts of those who need the living waters of Jesus Christ. Help them to see who you are 
and who they are, that, that Jesus is the only one who could meet our needs of satisfaction and salvation. And so, Lord, we ask that your spirit would work. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and how you seek us out. And now help us to respond. In your name we pray. Amen.